Hey, good morning. These guys. Hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is uh, Luke, and uh, I help lead the youth around here. I help uh, lead our team one, which is our volunteers, and I am just uh, so grateful to see you. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. How's everyone feeling? Yeah, some of my tag people over here, that's what we call our youth, are uh, running on like an hour of sleep, and so... uh, What's cool is that today, we're, uh, if you were to title this message, it's called Worship Your Way Through It. And so that's for you guys, okay? <laughs> now, um, we did just come off a, a pretty big, intense weekend. If you, you kind of grew up around the church, you remember youth weekends. You remember the kind of like nervous showing up. Which bed am I going to pick? You know, uh, am I going to meet new friends? Am I going to have a good time? Is there going to be good food or is it going to be cafeteria food? And that's always up for debate. But, but there's some of those nerves and they get there and, and worship is, is awesome and interesting and you're trying to kind of figure it out. But like by session four, you got kids going all out just in the front, running across the room, I don't know, waving banners around. We didn't actually do that. I'm kidding. But you see the change that happens when these students arrive, kind of, you know, still just trying to get their footing, right? And then a couple sessions in to worship and into prayer and praise and uh, just being in community, doing life with each other, you see stuff start to break off. You see minds start to change. And I, I just am so grateful every weekend. I am, I'm honestly surprised. Ren and I were talking about it on the drive over this morning. I, I just kind of was like, wow, I am blown away that these students who sometimes if you talk to youth, it's hard. I'm not going to lie. It's a little scary. It's sometimes nerve wracking, you know? Um, but what's amazing is that these kids just start to let it all go. And I don't know about you, but sometimes as we, uh, you know, get a little bit older and I've talked to many of you, stuff happens. Life starts to become harder and there's just schedules get busy and we kind of become calloused to the things um, of the spirit and we kind of get zeroed in on the things of this world. And we forget, we forget about the power of worship and the power of prayer and a relationship with God and the fact that it takes um, us taking time with him to build that relationship. So we have been talking about this series called Wonder. It's a series on worship. It's a series on learning how to kind of um, say no to the things of this world and say yes to what the Father has for us. And it's quite simple in the answer of worship. And so I just want us to get clued into that as we begin today. If you would join me, I'm going to start in Psalms 27, 1 through 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. This is the word of the Lord. And would you just pray with me one more time? 
Heavenly Father, we receive your word this morning, the confidence of David's heart pouring out to you in the middle of uh, tragedy, in the middle of defeat, Lord. He is confident that your will will be done. And so, Lord, I just pray that over my friends today, that your will will be done in their life. And would you give them courageousness and boldness to worship you through it? In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, I want to really hone in on this scripture um, because I don't know about you, but when you're in the midst, when I'm in the midst of trauma, trial, uh, discouragement, and error, this is not the kind of confidence I always have. Um, you know, I think about the, the snowstorms that we've been through, the ice storm this past week, and I don't know about, about many of you, but oftentimes my first reaction is not confidence. <laughs> my first reaction, if I'm honest with you, is like, oh my gosh. This is, yeah, again, like, like I'm from the Northeast. I'm from Philadelphia. I'm used to snowstorms. I lived in Boston. I've lived in up, you know, I'm used to this. And so there's an honest reaction uh, from me. Like right away, I'm like, oh, people out here just, they don't get it. Our infrastructure isn't, isn't, you know, uh, created to withstand this kind of stuff. And, and, and I'm like, oh, this is so frustrating. Why can't we handle this? Why aren't we prepared for this? Well, it's Texas. It's Texas. It's like 100 degrees 80% of the year. So why, why would we need to be, right? But, but when we're in trial and trauma, what do we turn to? And, I, and we read this verse in, in Psalms. And my, my question for us is like, why is David so confident? How? If you know this story, David is being run down by Saul in caves. He was told he was going to be the king. And he is being chased down to his death. How is he this confident? Why such bravado and, and courageous assurance coming from David? Where the heck does this come from? How do we attain this? I think the answer for this actually is in verse 4 of Psalm 27 through 6. It goes like this. The one thing I ask the Lord, the one thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Amen. Who needs that in their life? We could probably head back into worship right now and, and get things started. This is a lifeblood that I think you and I can live on. Because the truth is, there is only one source for this kind of confidence. The matchless, overwhelming, consuming presence of God. Many of you know that. Many of you may be struggling with that. Many of you, maybe you've never felt that ever in your life. And I just want to assure you today that it is available if you choose to step in. If you choose to worship because in the age um, of, of our kind of American culture, there's a consumeristic point of view on worship, isn't there? We kind of program things and we package them all nice into our services and, and you know, our, our worship band and uh, worship pastor Wesley, they really do a good job. But, but we have to kind of wonder, 
what, what are we doing all of this for? What are we doing here in this place? There's a reality that I think we have to come to terms with in the process of worship. It's that honesty in worship is a must. You can't worship halfway. You can't worship with a piece of yourself. Worship is not this magical pixie fairy dust that we sprinkle over our problems to make the world go away. Worship is not a drug to be consumed. It's not like this buzz for escape. It's not this feel-good moment for one time. It's that revelation that has the opportunity to consume us and overwhelm us with the presence of God. Because if Jesus is Lord just over the happy times, then you're really, then you're only going to worship when it feels good. I kind of want to go to this place with us today that to present to you that actually if Jesus is only our king, the king and Lord of our life when times are good, then we're not the worshiper the father is seeking. That cuts me deep because there's often times that, that <laughs> you know, when stuff is hard, I, I worship is not really the first place I want to go. read another passage from John 4 and verse 23. It says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. And so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Guys, the Father is, is seeking honest and supernatural worship from us. Not the escaping, not the, the drugging or medicating our pain, but instead bringing it to the feet and of Jesus and the cross and identifying fully with his suffering and hardship, laying it down and surrendering all of our life to him. You see, actually, Jesus is hoping for this gut level honesty of worship. That is the place where supernatural healing is born. That's the place that God actually wants us to be in. He wants it for you and I. Because when we're in that place, tears and all, he's got something more for us. This is the kind of worship, it's truthful and it's spiritual. It's never trite and superficial. I think some of us operate in that way often. I think sometimes I've got to check myself. Am I operating just out of, kind of habit or because other people are doing it or am I operating out of an honest worship this morning? I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. He says, people's lives are only as good as their worship. You might've heard that in the past couple of weeks. People's lives are only as good as their worship. So instead of looking at the fruit of your life, I'm just gonna ask you, how's your worship? And not just how is the lifting of your hands and the singing of your voice. How's your heart? How are the, the hard places? How are the places that you don't really want to talk about all the time? Because if Jesus is Lord of our entire life, then worship is necessarily 
and necessary to include the full spectrum of our emotions and our experiences. Again, we can't just give him a partial piece. He needs the full picture, right, Tag? Right? We talked about that this weekend. You see, this is what the Psalms, this is what David is talking about. This is what rest of the whole scriptures is leading us and teaching us. That we don't just bring part of our lives under the lordship of, of Christ and, and surrender just portions of it. We surrender the whole thing. Check out this other Psalm of David in Psalm 13. Maybe you've been here before. How long, Lord? <laughs> Maybe you've been right there. <laughs> how long? How long must I endure this? How long must I go through this? How, must, how long will you forget me, Lord? And listen to the heart of David in this. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my own thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me. Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. Can I stop right there? Do you see the lament and grief followed by praise? Is grieving bad? No. Are emotions a bad thing? Nope but it's where we direct them afterwards that God can do something with it in verse five and six. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praises for he has been good to me. Thank you, Jesus. I love this about God. He is not threatened by our doubts. He's not threatened by our pain and our grieving. He can handle the fact that sometimes you might be angry at him. Not many worldly people can handle that. <laughs> not, in, not many institutions or organizations can handle that. And in many of these Psalms that we see, this, this is so cool, there is a pivot where honesty turns toward faith. You know, it's funny. It's really hard to get to faith without honesty. God wants this from us. And we see this David that he's kind of going along, just being honest with God. God, I'm feeling this. I'm thinking this. It legitimately feels like I'm about to be destroyed. But there's a turn and all of it is an act of worship. Psalm 84, verse four through seven says, what joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessing. They will continue to grow stronger and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. Was that not what we were singing this morning? Rain, rain's gonna come, storms are coming, but I'm gonna worship you forever my days, Lord. The psalmist here is giving us a picture of what it is kind of to be a life and live a life as a priesthood of Jesus. 
And how joyous it is, is it to find strength in the Lord? He is using this uh, kind of story of pilgrimage to Jerusalem as a metaphor because the reality is there's a journey to get to the temple. There's a journey to get through these things in our life, right? And I think this pilgrimage mirrors our life. Tag, what's a pilgrim? You guys remember? Oh, I have to go look at my notes. It's fine. I got the definition for you. Pilgrimage means a journey or a path with hills and valleys. You see, he describes walking through the valley of weeping. But notice what he says. Um, It becomes a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rain brings with it blessing. April showers bring May flowers, right? You know, phrases like that become cliche, but there's a real reality in our life because that journey that we're on increases the strength of those who don't give up. For those who carry on, who venture on in the midst of trial and tribulation and error. And something incredible happens when we worship in the midst of difficulty, when we worship through the midst of our hardship, when we turn our desert into an oasis for the Lord. When we worship our way through disappointment, God turns the wilderness into wonder. I remember when I was first kind of coming to faith, I was figuring things out and learning my way through what worship was and prayer and time with God and all of these new things that I thought were never available. And as I was doing it, I was so excited and I was telling my family about it. And out of the blue, I get this email one day from my dad. He's in Pennsylvania and and it's like, it just scrolls. And um, I guess I'm a millennial, so I don't like to read a lot of stuff. But I know when my dad sends me an email, it's legit. If my dad sends me an email, there's, some, there's something going on there. And he sends me his email uh, after I was talking to him about faith. And it's like all this stuff about why the decision I chose to follow Jesus was wrong. All this other worldly um, writings and teachings that basically was like, Luke, cool about your journey, but here's what you should believe in. And there was a, a essence of this message to me that essentially said, because you're believing all these things, I don't know if I really want to be a part of what you're doing in your life. And this was kind of like also the beginning of COVID when people were like, don't, you know, don't, don't, I don't want to be around people. And so I was trapped kind of in this house that I was staying at for like a month with this email. And there was, there was this weird, you know, I'm one of nine kids and we're a pretty tight family. And to get something like this, almost feeling like I'm disowned from family and cut off is, and I'm kind of just on this island, learning how to trust the Lord, learning how to try to love my family and walk with people in faith and disciple people while at the same time just being cut off from what I thought was love. And I, truthfully, I just, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I was angry. I was annoyed. I was like, I found Jesus and you, you're mad? 
This guy's given me everything and that, that offends you? Can we talk about this? Can we? And there was no conversation and, and, and there was probably a good year and a half leading up to when Ren and I got married that he was like really didn't talk to us. We went to a family vacation and he just kind of like sat there. <laughs> it's like, what are we kids? Did I steal your toy? <laughs> like, what's going on? And truth be told, l- let me just say this. I don't know what it's like to be a father and have your kid go away from your beliefs. I feel for my dad. That's probably tough. Your parents probably, could you, could you imagine your, your child walking away from this thing that you taught them? I, I feel for him there. That, that's a hard thing. And so I'm sitting in this house for a month with, with, you know, not in community, trying to figure things out. And all I had at my availability was worship. The only thing I knew what to do was walk around the house, throw some music on, and just start worshiping over everything, over this situation, over my dad, over all all the other trials and tribulations I've experienced. It was all I had left. And something started to break off in this prayerful, worshipful honesty. The Lord started to move in my heart because I didn't want to call my dad and forgive him. I didn't want to call him and tell him I loved him. He was in the wrong here. For like a year and a half, he's in the wrong. But, but over time, through worship and through um, conversations and getting into scripture, I was able to humble myself, to call him and say, look, dad, I don't know what's going on, but I know that I love you. And I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm sorry if I've done anything wrong here. Could I have said, here's the, I kept a list. Here's the thing of all the, here's the emails that you've sent me. Here's, I could have, but God was moving in me. He was stirring in me like David. Here I am honest with you, God, so you can strengthen me into the world and have conversations of healing with people, have conversations of forgiveness with people. Because here's the reality the time since then that I have been in deep grief or trial and error in my own life, all I have left is worship. All I have left is the sanctuary of God and there's no other place I'd rather be. I can tell you in the the moments of deepest pain, even since then and loss and in grief and confusion, all I have left is to cry out to my God. I love in Psalm 73, it says, this is what the wicked are all like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth and surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have been betrayed. I would have betrayed your children. But when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply all the confusion in the world, all the stuff going on. If I tried to understand it, it troubles me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. You see, when we enter the sanctuary of God, we get perspective and we see things differently. 
oh my gosh, all this stuff is happening to me. Things maybe you can't control, maybe loss or grief or divorce or pain or it's just stuff in the world, jobs, you, you can't control it. I don't understand it, it troubles me, so I go to the sanctuary. Because when I'm in the sanctuary, God heals all things. He gives me perspectives. He allows me to see actually the stuff that I've been going through is growing me. The stuff that I've been going through is helping other people grow. The stuff that I've been trying to hide my shame or fear or guilt or trouble with identity, he wants it out, right? Because it's actually for his glory. We get a new pair of glasses when we get into this sanctuary. It's like a heavenly LASIK for our eyes and we get a massive paradigm shift. I imagine many of you understand what I'm talking about. You know, we go from the, <laughs> the full screen version to the widescreen version of our life. And I feel like we get to see the whole picture when we're in the sanctuary with our God. When we choose to walk away and we, if we continue into kind of this myopic darkness, then we miss it. Check out what happens with worship in Acts 16. It's a story of Paul and Silas and they were being afflicted. Their faith was being questioned. It says here in verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped down and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When, we, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Why do you think they were singing? Do you think they were singing um, and thinking that God was gonna break them out of jail? What is going on in the minds of Paul and Silas? How is this even helping? These guys are locked up in change. How is like, I don't know, you know, it reminds me of like the glass thing with the singer, the opera singer. Like, do they think the chains are just gonna break? <laughs> but notice this, the, the other prisoners start listening to them. The other prisoners are like, they're intrigued. They're, they're kind of like their mind and perspective starts to shift. Check this out in verse 26. Suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison's doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Can you imagine? This guy who was, was told to hold them tight and then even was about to kill himself because he failed at his job wants to be saved. They replied in verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord over him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them he washed their wounds, and then immediately he and his household were baptized. 
The jailer brought them into his house and he set a meal before them and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Amen. <laughs> Were Paul and Silas set free because they needed to be set free for themselves? Were they worshiping even so they could be set free? I'd argue not. They were worshiping because when you're in trial and, and error and, and tribulation, you worship the Lord your God, not knowing maybe what would happen. But look what happens after that. They're set free. All the other people are set free. And everyone comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have our band come up. This, the true essence of worship, my friends, is found in the middle of crisis in the trying and the testing of our faith. Because it is here that we decide whether or not we're going to trust God. It's not in all the good times. It's not in all the, the amazing, you know, Holy Spirit-filled moments. It's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm, if, if I have those every day, I'm definitely going to trust God. It's in the midst of your deepest pain or that we need to kind of wrestle with the question, am I willing to trust the Lord for my life? When I'm in deep and utter loss, am I willing to trust the Lord that he will provide? When the pressure comes, what's going to be squeezed out of you? Will it be a heart of worship? Will it be fear, doubt, pain? What is it going to be? And today, I just want you to settle in your hearts that true and honest worship is what the Lord wants and a praise and a sing to him is what lifts our faith. Paul and Silas had a deep conviction that God's power was greater than anything these men could do to them on earth. In short, they believed in resurrection life and power. It's available for you and I here today. And look, they weren't faking it. They got locked up in those chains and they just said, okay, glory be to you, Lord. Mercy and power be yours, Lord. For you are greater than all things. They were automatically dialed into worship the second those chains went on. And could it be that the jailer that was saved was saved not just by witnessing the earthquake, but what, do you think he was saved by the singing and the praises that happened beforehand? Think about it. How many people do you think he locked up on a daily basis? Lots of them. Most of them probably sat in a corner or grumbled. And these two guys come in here after being beaten and flogged in their first reaction was to lift their hands in praises to the Lord. That would ruin me. When I called my dad and I said, hey, I love you. I'm really sorry. I've seen my dad cry twice in my life. And they were um, both, at, both at funerals. And I called my dad and I said, I'm really sorry and I love you. And I just, I want to... You know, I'm getting married and we're going to have kids at some point and I, I want you to be a part of our lives. And he just started weeping. 
And it was kind of comical because I FaceTimed him and there was like, there's not, there's, you know, I'm one of nine kids. There was a racket going on behind him. And this man doesn't quite know Jesus yet, but I have faith for it. I'll continue to humble myself for it because him weeping on the phone, feeling the love and peace of God, that's what our faith in action, that's what our honesty in worship does. It shifts the atmosphere. It shifts the lifeblood of other people. You see, faith in the one who can understand us, who is with us, who has the power to strengthen and deliver us, that is what it's all about. I'm a pretty strong-willed person, but I ain't that strong. I ain't that tough that my father can't handle my earthly father, that my heavenly father can't handle what's going on out here because I need him to. When I have lost things and people and things I thought were gonna happen in my life, I know that my father has got me and he's holding me. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. He cares about you. I'm not just calling you to worship today because uh, you should, because we're in a church. I'm inviting you into a place of opportunity to worship because the father, the creator of the universe loves you. He wants more for you than just your finances, than just your home, than just um, that child to come back to faith for the broken home, the broken hearts. He wants more for you than those things. And that's maybe really hard to understand when you're in the middle of your loss, when you're in the middle of your grief. In my grief, I, 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 whew, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. So I have to run to my father because he is where my faith is found. God knows that the very thing that is most difficult to do is the very thing we need most. You see, the strength that we find in worship is the power of his presence. And so I want to give you an opportunity. I don't know what's going on in your life. but I guarantee you there's probably a piece that we could offer up that we haven't offered up before in honesty. And so we're gonna raise our voices in worship. We're gonna raise our hearts in worship. We're gonna spend time pursuing the Father in the midst of, maybe you don't have any trials, but the midst of these ice storms, the midst of the world's trauma, the stuff that is going on there out the world, we can worship our way through it because the God who's the creator of the universe has got it. He's got it. He's got a plan. And he wants things to be set free in us. We're gonna worship, but we're also gonna have a time of communion. And there's elements here at the front and a few in the back. And the whole kind of reality with this is that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. He died on a cross to be back in right and real relationships so that you and I could worship no matter where we are, in a cave, in our schools, in our homes, in our workplace, in the drive from work, we can worship because of what Jesus did. And so... 
we're about to go into worship. And at your own leading, you can get the elements and take on Jesus' body and his blood. Take part of Jesus as you worship him, as you say, Lord, I'm just going to give you this shame that I've pushed down for so long. Lord, I'm going to give you this loss that I just don't want to let go of. And I'm going to take your body and your blood and the communion elements and just worship because all I have is your praise, Father. And so as as the worship team leans in, I just want to pray a, a prayer over you all. Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit would come right now in this house. That you've given us a space and a freedom to worship you. We're not chained down right now, Lord. And so I pray for your freedom to move about this room. I pray for boldness and courageousness to to just be birthed out of each one of us in an honest, authentic worship this morning, Lord. We want nothing more than all of you. So help us cast aside our worries and our fears and lean in to the true and authentic worship of who you are in Jesus' name.